Do you shop on Amazon.com? Of course you do. You can now support the Midwest Podcast Network while doing so. Go to Amazon.MidwestPodcastNetwork.com and a very small percentage of your purchase will go towards making our network and its content even better. That's Amazon.MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Bookmark it today. Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Nick. I'm Tim. And I'm Willie. Today we're going to do a summer movie wager update. We're going to talk about some biopic fan casting for some musical artists and and groups that we love, know and love. And then finally we're going to do a full review of Joel Edgerton's The Gift. Before we get to all that, feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com is where you can write to us. Let us know what you think of the show or the things that we talk about. Go to MidwestFilmNerds.com for all 140-plus bonus episodes and full timestamps for each show. You can skip over things like Spoiler Terry and other things you don't want to hear. And, uh, yeah, at MFM Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, Amazon.MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Go shop there. That'll get us some money. We can make our show and our network even better. So, on with the show. Summer Movie Wager. Got a little bit of an update here. Straight out of Compton. Still taking first place. It's got $26.3 million, followed by Mission Impossible Rogue Nation once again with $11.5 million. And Sinister 2 debuted in third with $10.5 million. That's Sinister 2, which does not have Scott Derrickson directing or uh, Ethan Hawke starring, as I previously said last episode, but corrected during the episode and just corrected again. <laughs> Number one, Jurassic World, $1.6 billion. Number two, Avengers Age of Ultron with $1.4 billion. Finally broke the one point four. It got that $7 million that it needed. Minions is at $990.7 million, getting close to that billion mark. Definitely going to hit it. Inside Out is in number four with $690 million. San Andreas is in number five with $469 million. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation is number six with $439.9 million. Mad Max Fury Road is in seventh with $373 million. Ant-Man is in eighth with $361 million. Terminator Genesis making... Much more money in the Chinese box office. <laughs> I saw that. It is seeing a money. renaissance sitting solidly at $352 <laughs> million. It might gross more than Ant-Man does. It's entirely possible. It could beat Mad Max, actually. So, we'll see. And then finally, Pitch Perfect 2 hanging on there at the bottom. I don't think that's going to change. I think Pitch Perfect is going to sit in, in number 10. But... We'll we'll get to that. It. It's got $285 million. There's nothing right behind it. No. Like, everything behind it has less than $200 million. Hmm. So, and it, none of it's anything that's, like, gaining speed either. So, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, this is the final weekend for any releases in the summer movie wager. So, I'll probably stop the updates, do a some kind of uh, preliminary tally where I can throw out hints about who might be winning and who might not be winning and then we'll finally do the final scoring in the final week of september which is the next month after this one so uh no escape with owen wilson came out today this wednesday and we are your friends with zach afron is out this friday so is no escape the pierce brosnan owen wilson movie mm-hmm. oh i'm sorry i didn't see the see the brosnan in the, <laughs> burying the lead i guess it's all right. no I, I just watched november man 
Finally. Yeah, what did you think? Um it was Was it quite August of a movie? (laughs) It was uh Oh god, they I can't remember why they say he's the November (laughs) man because he he leaves he leaves everything cold in his path. Dead cold and dead in his path. Oh. Like the month of November. I thought they were gonna say he heads to Florida (laughs) every November or something. (laughs) (laughs) It was out. It was a serviceable, serviceable movie from a serviceable director, Roger Donaldson, who also directed some other serviceable films like Species. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, what's the other one? Is we it, went over this whole list. Is it of, 13 Days? Yes. The Kevin Costner, yep, the Kevin JFK, Costner one. Yep. movie? And there's there's another one. He's like a director where like you, you rent his movies, either on demand or yeah. video. Or you see him on like cable. And like, you're like, what? All right. You're like, I okay. That's a good way to waste yeah. a Sunday. <laughs> like, I don't feel bad I watched it. <laughs> But, sure. Yeah. It was nice. It was a nice right. little well, Sunday job. It's got um Star of Hitman, the girl. Rupert Friend. Oh. Oh no, Olga Karolinko, right? Oh, there you go. Star yeah. of Oblivion. Yes. Yeah. So. Isn't she a Bond girl? Star too? of a Bond movie. Yep. Uh, Quantum oh, of Quantum. oh my god. Yeah. Bond universe crossover. There you go. I there didn't even go. realize it while watching because I don't remember Quantum of Solace. Ooh. I actually remember November Man more than I remember Quantum of Solace. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Roger Donaldson, just so we can we can go through this real quick, because um, it's important. He, I'm gonna go from top to bottom here. This November is our Man. Roger Donaldson <laughs> retrospective <laughs> episode. We've got November Man. We got Seeking Justice, starring Nick Cage yeah. and Guy Pearce. We've got The Bank Job with Jason Statham. Oh, great example. The World's Fastest Indian with uh, Anthony Hopkins. The Recruit, starring Colin Farrell. Thirteen Days. Dante's Peak. Oh my God. <laughs> Species. The Getaway with a Baldwin and a Basinger. Yep. White Sands with Willem Dafoe <laughs> <Hey> and... Basinger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, White Sands with Willem Dafoe and Mickey Rourke. That looks pretty good. Cadillac Man Cadillac with Man. old uh, Robin Williams. Cocktail with Tom Cruise. Oh, that might, that's his, best movie. his best movie is Cocktail. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> uh, no Way Out with Kevin Costner. No Way Out is really good. And, uh, oh, Bounty with Anthony Hopkins and a very young Mel Gibson. I have not seen that. I like Roger Donaldson more than I. I think he peaked kind of early, but he didn't really fall too far. I can't wait for him to finish out the Man trilogy. It started with Cadillac Man. (laughs) Second entry, November Man. What's the third one? Just Uh, point at something in the right... Whiteboard man. Whiteboard man? <laughs> yeah. Door right. man. Uh, he's right. got four upcoming projects, so there's plenty of time for him to add a new right. one to the... Is uh, any of them un- untitled Roger, what's his name? <laughs> Roger project? Donaldson man project? <laughs> Sadly, no. <laughs> Sadly, no. A new oh, season well. of The Man Show? <laughs> yeah. It's taking over creative control. Brings it back. Well, I like a lot of those movies, though. Right. I'll be honest. I mean, they're like you, it's service. They're all serviceable. I, I think the recruit might be my favorite, though. I like cocktail. It's a classic, but I, I for some reason, I always clung to the recruit. I don't know why. Really dug that movie. Yeah, I find Colin Farrell very sultry in that film. Yeah, is that Al Pacino? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and that really pretty girl that was should have been in more movies, but wasn't. It was a Pacino. A Pacino. Not the yeah. Pacino. A Pacino. Yeah. A basing. <laughs> <Right. laughs> I don't know. It's got a ball with a basinger in it. Uh, All right. I gotta, okay, no, continue. I'm, I'm going to blurt out at some point and just interrupt you with, with the pretty girl in the recruit. It's Claire... God. Claire Forlani? No, she's gorgeous, though. Mm-hmm. She should have been in more movies. Oh, Bridget Moynihan. Bridget Moynihan. Thank you. Yes. She's got. She's on a TV show, I think. Yeah, I think she is, but I, I like her a lot. Anyway, yeah, totally off topic. Sorry. All right, that's My okay. Fault. That's all right. Uh, so next up, we have some... 
corrections from the corrections department. What? Uh, somebody wrote, Katie wrote <laughs> on her Facebook. <laughs> what? It's just Willie going, what? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear this so-called this correction. Is our, this is our first instance of a correction on the show, actually. Yeah, and I'm offended. Uh, if it, Ooh, if it, we can give no prize. If it wasn't self-correction like, self by me, because I think there was like episode five. I was like, nobody's listening to this, but I made a mistake. <laughs> we've had more than, more than corrections You're so responsible, Alex. I think I think it's mostly just been us correcting each other more so than it's been somebody in the audience correcting us. Maybe, but maybe so. Katie on Facebook listened to our True Detective review. This has a little bit of a spoiler for True Detective Season 2, so skip ahead maybe two and a half minutes. We won't spoil too much. But she said, Hi, I was listening to this and just wanted to make a correction. After the standoff in the kitchen between Velcoro and Frank, his wife was standing behind the hall... Well, standing behind the wall with a gun as his backup, she didn't stumble out confused asking what happened. She was there as his partner in crime with a gun to have his back if needed. Love you guys. Wanted to clear that up. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Katie. Love you too. I think it, I think it's just one of those. I don't know. I it maybe we portrayed the moment incorrectly, but I think the fact that maybe it wasn't something that stood out in our minds, it just wasn't necessarily a very effective reveal that she was behind the wall with a gun you know so yeah. i don't know yeah, katie's not wrong like i know like but. nick nick talked about it a little bit and said there wasn't any like there wasn't any art in revealing that she was there there wasn't any suspense or anything it wasn't like the you know the- yeah them- <clears throat> thematically i love that idea that she's his partner in crime she's got his back she's hip to the to the criminal thing and she's ready to go but I don't feel like that was conveyed at all. Yeah. So yeah, she came. She walked into the room with a gun in her hand, but it, I never felt like she was alert or ready or understood what was going down in the room. It was more, I don't know. I just remember not at all feeling like, oh, cool. She's she's, pulled she's, the gun she's plugged into the situation. Yeah. It just felt okay. It felt yeah. weird. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Katie, thank you for writing. Yes, thank in. you. Thank you, Katie. Uh, what a it, delight. It's good to acknowledge. And if you have any other corrections, no, no, don't correct anything. No, okay. No, because I don't like this road we're going down because I don't remember plots of movies that I'm watching. <laughs> so, like Quantum of Solace. Yeah. yeah like I, let's not do this because I get stuff, like 75% of the stuff I say on this podcast is wrong. Fair enough. Send <laughs> in your Tim corrections too. <laughs> but it's, Actually, not, you know it's not wrong if you believe it though. Yeah, right? If you want to correct something I say, go back through every episode and correct everything I've ever said. And so it's an insane email. We'll do a Tim Long corrections <laughs> bonus episode. <laughs> the corrections <laughs> retrospective. Episode awesome. 102, Tim said that. I don't know. But <laughs> Rupert Murdoch directed the November Man. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Why can't I remember this guy's name? Roger Donaldson? Roger Donaldson. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> I, thought it, I didn't think it was Roger either. Oh, boy. Well, we were talking about Rupert Friend. Yes. Oh. Yes. The so. dream boat. <laughs> <laughs> Way right. dreamier than Timothy Oliphant. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, I've heard, I've heard that uh, uh, Hitman, Agent 47, it's not particularly good. <laughs> Some of the <laughs> just breaking just, news. Just, I wondered. I wondered where you're going with that. Well, no, That's no, no, exactly where also, I thought you were. It's the. It's the <laughs> <laughs> we're also here in suspense. What did you hear? Well, that it's not thing, very good. The only thing about the movie that would get me interested is that it's the directors of John Wick are the ones that did the stunt coordination for the movie, which is cool. Yeah, which would make me want to see it. But by all accounts, I've heard that yeah, it, the action's serviceable, but you, you could know. just wait for John Wick too. Yeah. 
might be better served or the uh blood blood somebody movie blood ocean i uh image comics I, oh, oh oh bloodshot, bloodshot. bloodshot. Yeah. yeah that's what's what called <laughs> that's gonna be killer yes yeah so yeah actually i'm pretty excited for that <laughs> i'm gonna hold your hand through that entire movie tim <laughs> it will be sweaty i know all right um so to move on with the show, with straight out of Compton's box office being straight out of this world, what? <laughs> Tim decided we should fan cast some biopics for some of our favorite musical groups and/or artists. So I don't know who wants to go first. Tim, Tim's idea. There oh, you no. go. There you go. <laughs> oh boy. Go Tim. Go. This is, this is the part where you start taking your corrections notes. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. Right. right yeah. Now. Correct Tim's fan cast. I did not do that much research into Elton John's life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there are a few different types of biopics that you can go by, um, and I basically use two of them in a way. Because okay. I kind of like the uh, like Ali is the one I think of where it takes a moment in a person's life, like a pivotal moment, and it just tells that story, and it kind of sums up the person they are. Like Lincoln. Thank you. Yep, Lincoln too. Yeah. So not Lincoln, Lincoln too. <laughs> Lincoln too. <laughs> Didn't he die at the end of that one? <laughs> Oh. Thanks a lot, Alex. <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln died. <laughs> spoiler, history spoiler. Anyway, sorry, Tim. You don't know what they're continue. teaching these days, so you might yeah, you may have true. actually spoiled it. I don't know. So I thought to myself. I thought to myself. Elton John. I went. I like Elton John. I want to do. Uh, nobody's. You have to make an. That's the thing with a biopic is the person has to be interesting, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Elton, definitely. Elton John has lived a quite fascinating life. Mm-hmm. And um, and there are certain, like Billy Joel. No one's going to watch a Billy Joel biopic. No. He just drink a lot. He just drinks a lot. <laughs> and crashes his car. Works on his bike. and Crashes married. his car into houses. Yeah. <laughs> Beats up his wife. Times, you know. I'd watch it. I would, too. <laughs> it has to be like John C. Riley playing just getting lit and driving cars into shit. John C. Riley is Billy Joel. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, that's a funnier. This is not my. This happen. is not yeah, my. Absolutely. That's okay. Another junk history. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Tim. So I thought, like, I need to pick like a pivotal moment that would sum up, El- maybe sum up Elton John's life. And I was like researching. I was looking, scrolling through stuff, and I remembered. Like, he got married to a woman in 1984. Mm. He's actually been married to two women. But this was, like, when he was, I think he was uh, 37. He was in his late 30s or 40s at the time. So it's a very strange thing for... He he had come out as bisexual at the time, but... Elton John is pretty obviously a homosexual. Huh? I, mean, <laughs> I, I think he was pretty well... I think yeah. he's made it abundantly clear in the following years. And I thought, like... What kind of headspace do you have to be in to do this to another person? Yeah. Like, and so he married a German sound recorder in 1984 and they were, I like looked it up on people and they were talking about it. This is a wedding or this is like an article from when they got divorced and like they never spent time. They never consummated the marriage, which is a shocker. (laughs) Um, And like, she's, she's basically gone into hiding. She's been like, she's, wow. she's not like, maybe not hiding, but she's just radio uh, silence. Yeah. She's, she's, she's a grid. recluse now. She doesn't really talk to how long did it say how long they four were years. married? Four years. Yeah. And I, That's a long time. Yeah. From 84 to 88. So, yeah. And, um, so I decided like, oh, this would be a fascinating story to tell. Like the story of 
and especially from her perspective. Yeah. Um, but then I realized, like, I felt like weird, like casting normal people, <laughs> like, <laughs> like fan casting this woman. Yeah. Because like, and she kind of just looks like Sally Field too. So I okay. just did it. Well, there you go. Um, but so I decided not to do that because I'm just casting people that aren't famous. And let's, then I thought of another singer songwriter movie, which was the Bob Dylan biopic came out. I'm not there. Um, not fade away. Oh, by David okay. Chase, where um he had different actors play Bob Dylan yeah. at different points in his life. So I thought that would be kind of a cool idea. He had like a, I can't even remember the actors in it right now. I just remember um, Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. played him at one point yeah. too. So it was really cool. And uh, so I decided to do that with Elton John. All right. Um. So we'll start out with like 1970s, like when he was huge and he was blowing up and he's very flamboyant. And what, what songs would be that? It just because I'm not. Oh, this was like, uh, this is Madman Across the Water. This Yellow was, Brick Road and yes, stuff. Yeah, okay, this cool. Is when cool. He was blow, this is all his big hits right. were then. He had a resurgence in like the 80s and 90s. Okay. okay. Late 70s. I'm not rough. super well versed. So, yeah. <clears throat> so from like the early 70s, I had um, Justin Timberlake. Because he played him in a music video once, too. Nice. And he kind of, I think he would pull that off. And he can sing, which I'm not sure any of my other actors can do. <laughs> but through the magic of technology, we'll figure it out. Yes. Um, so, so that early part when he's kind of blown up and getting big, that's who I had. I had Justin Timberlake as Elton John. Then, as we move on, like in the 70s, the later 70s, early 80s, he becomes, he's not as big as he was. He's a, little, he's a lot more reserved dress wise okay. and conservative very, Elton John very toned out and he's trying to pass him off as a song like kind of like a songwriter and um so I had just because I wanted to cast him um I had Eddie Redmayne as this nice. also nice. because they're around the same age and I picture like around this time like Elton as a flip out and Eddie Redmayne would knock it out of the park okay. <laughs> like he would have some sort of rage so then we're moving into the 80s and he's getting married this is this is when his big like terrible, terribly conceived wedding was happening okay. to the German sound designer. And um, so I have uh, Michael C. Hall because I actually think, because he's kind of played the, like a, a, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, like a secret homosexual in the past. Or, yeah. And he's kind of, even Dexter. Well, kind of living he two did, lives. He did. He played Hedwig on Broadway. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. He can sing. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so it's Wonderful. pretty good. There oh you my go. God. It works out perfectly. Surprise Michael C. Hall. So so the, there's that, and I think I figure we'd go into that. And then he has a bit of a resurgence in the late 80s and like the early 90s because he had the Lion King soundtrack too. And which, Candle in the Wind. Yep, that, that came back out. So he yep. had a resurgence then, and um, I cast Mike Myers for that part. I thought it would be a cool stretch. <laughs> Interesting. Um, he kind of right. looks like him, and he could pull that off, I would say. Um, it would be a nice change of pace for Mike Myers. It might get him back on the get him back on the map. He was actually pretty good in Fifty Four. The movie's not very good, but he yeah. yeah. I don't think he can sing though. But whatever. Yeah. So then Willie helped me with the last one <laughs> because I wanted to do at one point I, I wanted to cast like a woman like they did with Kate Blanchett, and the first person I thought it was Tilda Swinton because <laughs> <laughs> like, that's kind of her thing mm-hmm. is to play an androgynous characters. But I needed to cast a uh, a later era Elton John. What he's become now, now he's completely comfortable in his own skin, mm-hmm. and very easy. Elton John's very catty these days. Yeah, he is. He, it's fun. So uh, Willie helped me out. We cast uh, the Dame Judy Dench there as the go. older Elton John. Because so. <laughs> <laughs> they're both they've both been uh, 
Well, Elton John's a Sir. He's Sir Elton John, right? If you're a British celebrity, are you automatically knighted at some point? It feels like it nowadays. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Elton John and Patrick Stewart, I can I can, yeah. I can, I can, I can, I can like, throw yeah. that out there. So. so that's what I would do, I would think. And then I found out today that Tom Hardy is starring in an Elton John biopic that's really? coming out next year, and it's really good casting, and I'm really excited for that's it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that's the Elton John story. It's good. Do you have a title for it? Um, I was thinking of, you get, I was going to title it after a song, so I was thinking Captain Fantastic. Ooh, or, I like that. Uh, Mad Men Cross Waters 2 on the nose. It's I too think. obvious. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going Captain Fantastic. Director or no? Uh, well, David Chase. Huh. Yeah. You don't want to have another film called Rocket Man? What's that? You don't want to have another film That's called Tom Rocket Hardy's Man? That's Tom movie. Is that what it's called? Yep. Oh, it's so they're going to confuse it with the Harlan <laughs> Williams movie? Yeah. That's not smart. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Confuse it with that classic. Yeah. <laughs> I like that movie. <laughs> man, they're making another funny. Rocket Man. It is funny. <laughs> man, they're remaking, they're remaking Rocket, Rocket Man, man so with Tom Hardy? <laughs> oh, man. Imagine that. <laughs> I hope they give Harlan Williams a cameo, though, at least. <laughs> That'd be uh, good. All right. Who's next? Actually, I can segue pretty good out of Tim's there okay. at the end. So I have a couple. Are we supposed to only do one? I'll just blitz through them pretty quick here because I didn't put a ton of thought into some of them. Um, I'm a big fan of Queen. I really mm-hmm. like Queen a lot. I think they're very interesting guys. I think a lot of the stories about them are hilarious. And there's a lot of really interesting dynamic in there with with the level of... Obviously, everyone knows Freddie is like the lead songwriter, but Brian May was heavily involved in the writing as well, if not almost more dominant than Freddie. And a lot of the stories with how they would come up with song ideas and lyrics and melodies are really cool. Uh, I don't know that it could focus on just a certain era of Queen's fame, but actually the original idea I had, but I didn't get... um, I didn't get further in casting it was I thought a film about the original Live Aid concert would be really interesting and getting that level and that many musicians together in one place would be really interesting to talk about. Uh, because Sting plays Sting. Yeah, basically. Know, okay. But I, I thought casting all those like iconic musicians of that era would be really fun. But anyway, opening uh, the Queen movie with like one of the Wembley shows and then talking about like, their later years I think would be more interesting. But anyway, I've always thought, uh, well, not, maybe not always thought, but for a while I've thought Tom Hardy would be a dynamite Freddie Mercury because I keep watching live videos of, of them and I'm like, he looks kind of like him. And he has a lot of weird like mannerisms and tendencies that I think Tom could replicate uh, really well. But it's just something about Freddie Mercury's face. It's very English and I think he looks a lot like... He just looks like Tom Hardy to me, I think, more than Tom Hardy looks like Elton John. So I'm sure he'll be really good as Rocketman, the remake. But I think he would be he would have been amazing as as Freddie Mercury. Um, that said, casting the rest of the band, uh, Robert Pattinson looks a lot like Brian May. <laughs> and I think he's a good actor buried in there somewhere, and that might be a lot of fun. Uh, but the the really like overly like fae vampire from uh, the Twilight movies looks a lot like Brian May too. So whoever that guy is. Are you talking with, about uh, with the, the longer hair? Yes, with like the huge oh, wig. Oh, I know his name. Jack. Uh, God, it's so dumb. Uh, Jackson Rathbone. Oh, Jackson Rathbone. No, 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 no not that guy. One of the one of the older like vampire elder guys. Ooh. Yeah, yes, yeah, one of those guys. He's like he's like very like overtly not, not feminine and not Michael Sheen. No, he's he he's no. Okay, I don't know who we're talking about. Anyway, I was hoping you were going to say he Jackson looks like Brian Rathbone, May. but uh, 
for some reason, I really want to see Chris Pine as Roger Taylor after his his turn in, in Wet Hot. Mm-hmm. And Roger Taylor is really hysterical and always sings the really, really, really high harmonies. And he wrote <laughs> I'm in Love With My Car, which is hilarious. And the story with him presenting it to Brian May and be like, dude, check out this song I wrote. And Brian May like was like, oh, that's really funny, man. Good joke. And he was like, no, for real. I really want to <laughs> and listen to it. It's a hilarious song. And the only person who I think looks like John Deacon, the bass player, is Toby Huss from Halt and Catch Fire nice. <laughs> and a bunch of other stuff, but he's too old. But anyway, um, I think that'd be cool. Queen's a great band. The original film they were going to make with Sacha Baron Cohen would have been a lot better than the one they're making with, is it Ben Wishaw who's playing Freddie Mercury? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, no thanks. Like, the reasons it got, can- uh, no offense to Ben Wishaw, but the reasons it got, like, Sacha Baron Cohen dropped out is just a bummer. So make that movie instead. Why did he drop out? Because they wanted to make it like PG oh. and like super family friendly, and That's he he wanted to stupid. explore like the the real rock and roll life of Freddie Mercury and like get into like the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll. Yeah. And, and it's funny because uh, he actually made a case against it against the band because one of Freddie's like last wishes when he, when he, they were talking about like he said if they ever make a story about me. Whatever you do with my legacy, don't make it boring, is what he said. Mm-hmm. And such a Baron Cohen was like, uh, guys, this is what he, he specifically <laughs> requested. You don't make this yeah. boring. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, such a Baron Cohen is amazing casting as well. So I'm, I'm all for that if it ever came around. Anyway, the, um, the only, the, the one I got really excited about was actually Tim. I was thinking the exact same thing about making a, uh, something with an act, uh, about a songwriter and having several different people play them. And I, Leonard Cohen is a really, I'm I'm a pretty big fan, and I think he's got a really interesting life. He's he didn't really gain any notoriety until he was nearly 40, and he was like a much later in life musician. And that whole era of his life is really interesting. So I thought uh, making a film about Leonard Cohen from like his start on up to like now, like really modern, where he's like he's like 81 or something, and he's still touring. True and detective success. Yeah, he's found new success. Yeah, seriously, when I started to type his name, Leonard Cohen, never mind, was like That's an automatic. Thing, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I thought um, Jason Schwartzman would be a really cool, like, young, younger Leonard Cohen. And Adam Sandler actually has a bit of a resemblance. And I think Adam Sandler has the potential to be a really good dramatic actor. He's really good in Punch Drunk Love. But the, the one man who has to play Leonard Cohen at, probably now in later, in, like, mid to later life is Dustin Hoffman. Mm-hmm. They bear, like, an insane resemblance to each other. And he would do it really well. If it were possible to have, like, a makeup wizard that could make him play younger like 40 year old leonard cohen which is probably possible dustin hoffman's the home movie would be really cool trying him up but i also kind of want oscar isaac to play him at some point in the middle too just because i know he can sing and he's a gifted guy he looks the least like him of everyone i selected but he's very good so i think that'd be really cool to see him as like a you know young young ish like mid 30s early 30s up to like his middle age where he went and like became buddhist and then came back and wrote all these weird pop songs and then on to modern day um, I thought about doing Bowie, but it's really tough. It's really tough. Tilda Swinton, you got the job. <laughs> so to make the movie. David Bowie is Bowie. <laughs> yeah, basically. Bowie can be Bowie. <laughs> uh, yeah, that one's really hard. And then I, uh, Pink Floyd, there's, there's a big era there where Roger Waters started to take over that I think would make for a really great film where the band starts to get more tense and you've got some of the biggest rock albums of all time made by this band and there's all this tension in there. Uh, I really just want to see Adam Driver play Roger Waters because so I think he he looks the part enough, and he could, I think he could bring that intensity to where he's basically taking over this band from all his bandmates, and they really can't do anything about it because they're continuing to be more and more successful. Uh, James Darcy could be Rick Wright, the keyboardist. They, they share a resemblance, and I think he'd be good for that like kind of soft-spoken but integral member of the band. 
Uh, the guy who's in the new transporter looks exactly like David Gilmore. His name's Ed Screen, the <laughs> yeah. guy from um, he's also in Game of Thrones. Looks exactly like him, so I don't care if he can play guitar or not. He's he he would be entertaining. Uh, Nick Mason, the drummer, doesn't really matter because he's not that important. <laughs> I, he just needs to get drunk a lot and and probably be just a fun character. So for some reason, I wanted to see Martin Freeman with like a giant Fu Manchu. <laughs> uh, these guys are all the wrong age, but it's just kind of fun casting, I think. So uh, the only ones I think I would really care to see happen are the Queen movie. So even if it's getting made with Ben Wishaw, that's cool. I would just like to see that story. And uh, the Leonard Cohen one, I think, could be really interesting. But. All right. We'll see what happens when he finally croaks. Yeah. If he if he does. <laughs> <laughs> Willie. All right. Let's hear it. Um, I went with Bowie. There you go. <laughs> um, Tall order. Yeah. So we're going to give it a shot here. So I have a couple concepts with this movie. First of all, let's start by saying we're going to build this movie with an expansive, very well-respected uh, mostly British cast. They're all going to be from Scotland or England. It's, we're going to build that cast kind of in that. I'm thinking Harry Potter, you know, with that esteemed <laughs> British cast surrounding it. Excellent. And that's why we're going to go with David Yates as director because I think he's got, I think there's something there. He's got the he did some cool with stuff the... with, with the Harry Potter movies, but I want to see him do something smaller and something a little more, little more intimate. Um, title, title's going to be Time May Change Me. Okay, and there's a reason oh, for that. I forgot to say my titles. Okay, go ahead. There's a reason for that. This movie takes place between uh, this time period of 1975 and 1985. All right. Space Oddity had come out. Ziggy Stardust was done at that point. And Bowie was trying to transition out of that kind of glam. He was trying to be taken a little more seriously as an artist, a little less flashy and pizzazzy. So this is a, basically going to take place, like I said, over 10 years. But every 20 minutes or so, we're going to switch it up. Each section of the movie is about him meeting with another artist for a duet. Mm-hmm. So the first portion is in 75 with John Lennon. He gets to meet John Lennon. They have a jam session for three days in a hotel room. And John Lennon winds up singing on fame with Bowie. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, the concept here is that each person he meets kind of helps him transition into the 80s and become the artist that he kind of is now, kind of on the path where he's at now. Um, that's going to be oh, David Bowie, obviously. I'm going to go with Benedict Cumberbatch. There were rumors of him playing. That's what I wrote down, actually. <laughs> there were rumors of him playing Bowie, I think, in some leaked Sony emails. And I saw that, and I was like, I, I, I dig it. I don't know if he can sing. I'm assuming he may. I, I don't know. I'm assuming he's, he can if people are, He probably he went to, like, acting school. He's probably done Britain, some sort of so. musical work some at some point. Stage. Yeah. But he, he looks enough the part, and I think he's got that just that weird out there look enough to, to pull it off. Um, John Lennon would be James McAvoy. Um, I like McAvoy. He doesn't look a ton like Lennon, but he, I could buy it. You know, when he's shaggy like his Charles Xavier hair in uh, first class or whatever. Yeah, I could buy that. Um, then we move into um, 77, um, and it's a little bit more about uh, Bowie kind of getting sucked back into the, the zaniness because he partnered with Iggy Pop for like three years almost because he worked with Iggy Pop on um, um, The Idiot and uh, Lust for Life. Two Iggy Pop's two albums. They did a duet together. It's not very famous. It's not a very good song. I don't actually remember the title of it, but they worked together on this album, so I thought I'd include that. Uh, Iggy Pop is going to be Tom Hiddleston. Um, <laughs> just dirty him up. Because if you look at young Iggy Pop, he act before he's like disgusting. He actually kind of looks like <laughs> Tom Hiddleston. So we're going to go with old Tom on that one. Um, we're going to move into 1977, where he met with one Mr. Bing Crosby in Bing Crosby's last Christmas performance oh, yes. before his death. 
Mm. It was like, yeah, I think he died like two or three months later. It was like absurdly soon after this. And I, I can imagine the beautiful moment where Bing Crosby like hands down a beautiful life lesson to pull Bowie out of his, of his darkness. <laughs> because here's the thing is, Bowie in 76, so right after his partnership with John Lennon, but before him and Pop started working together, he announced himself as bisexual. He said in a Rolling Stone interview, I'm a bisexual and I'm proud of it and I live my life the way I want to live it. But by 80, about 10 years later after that, he kind of backed away and said, that's not who I am. And I, you know, I was going, I was sucked into that time period. I was sucked into the lifestyle, you know, all that stuff. So that would be kind of a recurring theme throughout the course of this is him not just discovering who he is musically now and evolving musically, but also evolving as a person and his beliefs and and the way he, he lives his life. Um, Bing Crosby, I'm going to keep with the British actors, even though Bing wasn't British, Bill Nye. Is going to be an old Bing Crosby. I know he can sing. He sang some Christmas tunes before. <laughs> so let's see him do it again. All right. Then we're going to move into 81 when he meets uh, Freddie Mercury and they partner for Under Pressure. And that's going to be Oscar Isaac. Um, throw the mustache on him, put a little make- makeup on him to make his complexion a little lighter, and he could totally pull it off. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, plus, I'd love to see you know Oscar Isaac. I'd love to see any of these people do a duet together on screen. So. Yeah. Can you imagine Tumblr when Benedict Cumberbatch and um, Tom Hiddleston? Tom Hiddleston get together. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> There's going to be so much. Oh, it's, it's going to get gross, but that's all right. Um, and then we end with, uh, with Mick Jagger in, in 85 with Dancing in the Street. And this is when Bowie just broke out and he became this like – I mean at this point, uh, Dancing in the Street, if, if I remember correctly – and correct me if I'm wrong, guys – but was part of the Live Aid thing. The, the two of them, I believe, met doing the Live Aid thing and then spun out and did Dancing in the Street as part of that kind of uh, charity raising and fundraising stuff. So it's kind of him becoming not a selfish person anymore but giving back through the power of music and – it's the greatest gift in the world. Have you guys seen this music video? It's wonderful. <laughs> so this I one's think a, I've seen the music. It's music nearly better without more. music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's beautiful either way. Um, maybe that could be the, the post credit stinger is the remake of the music list. Um, and Mick Jagger will be Killian Murphy, who's an odd choice, I know. Ooh. But I think he could pull it off, too. Um, and imagine, imagine, just imagine Benedict. Tim, Tim said what I told him about this today. He goes, just imagine Benedict Cumberbatch and Killian Murphy in a remake of that music video. Like, <laughs> oh, it would be really so, good. That's my, uh, that's my Bowie, my Bowie movie. All right. I dig. I, did you want to say your titles real quick? Um, my Queen one, I think, was, was just called The Show Must Go On. That's good. And uh, Leonard Cohen was going to be Sincerely L. Cohen. Was the last line from one of his most famous songs, uh, "Famous Blue Raincoat." All right, that's all the ones I have titles for. All right, well, Tim, when he brought up this idea, really wanted to hear who I would cast for a Bee Gees biopic. <laughs> yes, I've been waiting on the edge of my I seat. I hope I didn't really. I don't know. It's okay. I wish I would have put more work into it. Like if I could have spent like a couple more days after the days that I did spend on Hi, it, it would have been great. <laughs> but. There's blood and sweat on the pages. On the pages. (laughs) (laughs) No, Uh, goddammit! He's smoking cigarettes and throwing coffee cups across. There's just a whole trash can full of crumpled up papers. It's like a it's like a scene in like a biopic movie that Alex turned into Philip Seymour Hoffman from Almost Famous. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so I think I would title them. I think it would be more about all of their lives, but it would center around Barry and the idea. I think I would title it Tragedy. Not because, you again? No, because it's about <laughs> because it's about Barry outliving all three of his bro- all three of his brothers. Ooh, man. Yeah. Oh man, going heavy it's, with it's our pretty, It's pretty dark. It's pretty dark. So <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so I kind of have 
three different time period of, of Bee Gees casting. So we start out in 1958, which is when the Bee Gees actually started, when Barry was like 12. Barry's 12 years old. So I didn't really cast any kid actors. Yeah. I don't really know any younger people like that. But basically, we're going to have like 12, 10-year-old kids, plus Andy Gibb was just born that year. You're going to have a cute baby. It's going to be great. Baby Gibb? Start the Bee Gees. Yeah, baby, gig. baby Gibb. But then we'll move on to 1971. Andy's 13 years old. Barry convinces Andy to come uh, live in, in Australia with the Bee Gees, and he thinks it would be good for their career and everything, for both of their careers, because Andy's trying to strike it out on his own away from his brother, uh, Barry, and Maurice and Robin's project. So Barry's some 13-year-old kid, or excuse me, Andy's some 13-year-old kid. But Barry at 25, I had, I was, it was hard. It was really hard, and I really wanted it to be me. Because... <laughs> I think I could pull it off. I'm sorry. There's a little bit of a multimedia presentation oh, for the people wonderful. that are listening. But I think I could do Barry. I think I think I could pull it off. He really looks like. I I mean it. it Go back to the first picture. I think again. I could do that. I think I could do that. That's like Halloween this year. That's me, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I decided to for the sake of somebody who can actually act. I think Aaron Taylor Johnson would be okay. Yeah. He'd be all right. He's. He's kind of in that age range. I don't really know if he can sing, but he could play kind of the, the older brother to the 13-year-old kid being like, all right, come on. We can get out here. We're going to make all of our careers better. Uh, I love got, this slideshow. Yeah. <laughs> moving, up, moving up here with Robin. Robin. Robin looks really awkward, and it's really funny, and I think it's great. But for some reason, when I saw this Robin, I thought Ezra Miller. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, that is really good. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to post the slideshow. This on, is really on the, good. On that thing. But, and then... Um, the only one that I had a lot of trouble with would be Maurice. So I don't know if you guys have any ideas because I really don't. I had you have a two, picture of him. I had two ideas. This is kind of my, my Maurice. Tom Hardy. <laughs> That's coming. <laughs> but younger, like twenty-two-year-old Maurice, I couldn't really come up with anybody. I suppose Tom Hardy could do it, but I feel like Tom Hardy's kind of aged out of it a little bit. In at this that point. picture, he looks like um, what's his name from uh, from Supernatural. Uh, oh, um, he looks Jen, Jensen Jared, Ackles. Jensen yeah. Ackles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, I could see that. I think In I that picture, with that. yeah. But anyway, so that's 1971 BGS. You got Andy moving out to Australia. That's what's going on. So then we're gonna fast forward to, you know, 1988-ish, which is when Andy would have died. Andy was 30 years old. He had drug problems, uh, and and. You know, it's just he ended up dying when he was 30 years old. He was the youngest child, the youngest BG, and he passed away. And he wasn't technically a BG, but he is a BG. He's one of the brothers, Gibb. Of course. Gibb. So Andy is going to be played by Andy Samberg. That's Andy Samberg, yeah. Andy <laughs> so Samberg immediately. plays Andy at 30 years old. Uh, Barry's now 42 years old. And I think this is when we can finally have Hugh Jackman. <laughs> <laughs> Hugh Jackman is Barry Gibb at 42. Got to age him him down a little bit. Got to age him down a little bit. You're kind of casting for the age because we're going to move on in the the movie a little bit. But that's that's who I had for Barry at 42. (laughs) That's so good. Robin. (laughs) That's Ben Mendelsohn. Robin's 39. I did not have Ben Mendelsohn. That would be pretty good. I actually decided to go with Adrian Adrian Brody. (laughs) Brody works. Ben Mendelsohn would be pretty good, though. I considered Adrian Brody for a Leonard Cohen entry. Yeah. But I thought Jason Schwartzman was a little bit better. Yeah. I think... I Yeah. Whenever but, I think of one, I think of the other for some reason. I don't know. For some reason, when I looked at that face, I was like, that's, that's, that's Adrian Brody. God, but, what happened to that movie? All right. 
And then this is where I was kind of like, all right, Maurice, I feel like because of one of those earlier pictures and this one, I was like, I kind of want to see Tom Hardy in the role. I also kind of thought it could have been like Ryan Gosling. To me, this looks like Noah in the notebook, like if he was balding at some point. His, with his, that shirt, he looks like uh, Christopher Maloney from the end of Wet Hot American Summer, the movie. All like right. when he's at the talent show, yeah. he's got a shirt exactly <laughs> like that. And the hair just like that. <laughs> that's Yeah, that, w- that would be pretty good. That would be pretty good. So that's kind of, but that's kind of where my, my casting kind of ran out, I think. We've got older Barry Gibb. Older Barry Gibb, I think, was, was just going to, I think, if he's still alive, it's going to be Barry Gibb. <laughs> Let me see. But... He closes oh the book. Yeah, yeah. older bear gives. He closes, closes the book. So that, that was the thing. So so after after 1988, which is when that like the actual cast kind of takes hold in the movie, Andy passes away. You move up to 2003. 2003 is when Barry's about 57. Uh, Robin and Maurice are twins, which I didn't know. Uh, Maurice passes away in 2003, so Tom Hardy's leaving at that point, and uh, that's when Barry and Robin decide to end the Bee Gees. They're like. We're not the Bee Gees anymore. We don't have our brother. And then you could kind of go up to 2009, which is when they're like, all right, we can be the Bee Gees again. You know, our brother wouldn't want us to mourn for all the time, so we'll start up again. But then again in 2012 is when Robin passed away from cancer and other complications. So they died in almost reverse order. Yeah, reverse chronological order. So... And and that's wow. the thing. Like I feel like it be it, it would be quite a gut punch, which it probably isn't what a Bee Gees movie should be at all. <laughs> like I'd much rather see like a Mamma Mia Bee Gees movie. A celebration probably. of life. Yeah. But but I think it would be like a really good like dramatic piece and I, I felt like I, I kinda dig that interpretation. You think so? To be you fair. and Willie went the opposite ways. Because Willie's got like the cocaine fueled like insane paranoid david bowie and he wants to make it like learning lessons and like yeah and egg and a, a celebration of life and <laughs> and where all accounts of his life during that time are like scary well to me like the thing that i always think about with the bgs is that barry is the oldest and he's like 60 something now he doesn't look good for 60 but he's outlived all three of his brothers yeah, no, it's, it's really sad it's nice, and yeah. but you know and then not to mention i feel like the potential with andy is really good too because the really weird thing, and I haven't read up on it too much, it really makes me want to read like a Bee Gees biography or something. But Andy and the Bee Gees were like stealing number one hit slots from each other. Because Andy was doing his own thing. Really? Andy, Andy Gibb has like a greatest hits, whereas the Bee Gees are also operating from like 58 up until 2003. Wow. And Andy was, was stealing number one slots away from the Bee Gees when he was putting out songs. I don't know how much of it was adversarial or if it was just like a, oh hey look at how awesome we are we've we're four brothers that have all these number one hits so i think there would be some cool potential for some drama and stuff going on there so and plus uh, the the movie that the bgs are most associated with is um saturday night fever yeah. which is a lot darker than people remember. it is <laughs> yeah that's true like, that's true very true it's not as like carefree disco love like it's yeah, yeah. Now, people remember all that stuff but they forget right. about the suicide <laughs> yeah. and the, the drug <laughs> abuse and the sex in I the think, back of cars i think everybody <laughs> remembers everybody remembers the music from that movie yes. more than they do the movies so, oh that yeah. opening scene though oh yeah but oh well and then i'm sure they're also remembered for their performance and Sergeant, Sergeant Pepper's, Pepper's Lonely Hearts, Hearts Club Band. Oh. Where they have Peter a death Frampton. fight against Aerosmith, and it's incredible. <laughs> I still what? haven't watched it. I need to watch it. This is not it. a joke. I've never seen it either. They, they battle Aerosmith <laughs> to the death. Oh, man. You but need to see this. Anyway, those are our biopics. Hopefully you guys enjoy them. Yes, very Send much. Send some in if you want. 
Yeah, feedback at midwestfilmnerds.com. Fancast your own musical biopic. Fancast the Billy Joel one. Yeah. Oh, wait, we already nailed that. No, Never we got that. You don't need to nail it down. It's perfect. <laughs> Just cast Christy Brinkley because they were married for a while. <laughs> All right. I did. Uh, ben Mendelsohn was on my incomplete Live Aid movie list as yeah. Mark Knopfler. <laughs> oh, lead that's great. Front man of Dire Straits. That's perfect. I just want to see him with that red bandana and just a smoke hanging out of his mouth, just going like. <laughs> I want to see Ben Mendelsohn recreate the music video for Money for Nothing. <laughs> that's really what I want. I mean, to see. I had to fit him in somewhere. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. It almost kind of looks too. We could talk about a little bit of film news since we're not running long or anything, but um, yeah, plenty of time. <laughs> Uh, it seems like he may not be big bad for the the Rogue One film. It sounds like Mads Mikkelsen could be the villain of the piece. I would prefer, I, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but I really want to see Ben Mendelsohn as a good guy. Yeah. I think he'd be re- a really cool good guy in a Star Wars universe as like a seasoned like rebel yeah, I thought they already said he was a good guy, Mendelssohn. I don't know. I've only I, heard he's a bad guy. I thought I, 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 thought I heard Mads. They just guy. said today that Mads, Mads was doing an interview today said, no, he's a good guy. Yeah. Maybe he's Mads is a good guy? Yeah. yeah. Mads looks like he was born to be in the Imperial Officer suit. <laughs> yeah. Like he would look flawless in that little hat. And <laughs> God, he was so good in King Arthur, though. No, he'd be a great good guy. It'd be cool to see both of them as good guys. Can you imagine Mads with a lightsaber doing King Arthur stuff? Oof. I mean, he shouldn't have a lightsaber in the movie, but... That, you know. I can't imagine that. It's too beautiful. Cool. <laughs> Samurai Mickelson. I did. I did hear that. No, we're getting forget. Yeah, forget. Right. <laughs> we should probably review the movie another time. That we're reviewing. Nah. Nah. Are we just going <laughs> to? Yeah, no. uh, I guess Mad, Mads Mickelson did, did say that it. he is not actually a bad guy. Yeah. But I think I read a, a rumor today that said that he is. But anyway. <laughs> All will Welcome be revealed. To film journalism. All will be revealed eventually. <laughs> the mystery box. Yeah. All right, well... He's not even involved in that, but... We should move on to our review of Joel Edgerton's The Gift. Uh, Joel Edgerton wrote and directed and stars in The Gift alongside Jason Bateman, Rebecca Hall, Alison Tolman, and a few other people. Uh, The IMDb synopsis says, A young married couple's lives are thrown into a harrowing tailspin when an acquaintance from the husband's past brings mysterious gifts and a horrifying secret to light after more than 20 years. Um, so I don't know about you guys, but this is one of the few movies where I did watch the trailer because I knew nothing about it. Didn't really care too much about it. Wasn't really on my radar. And I looked at the trailer and I was like, this movie looks really stupid and by the numbers. Did you guys agree? Did you, is that what you thought? The trailer got me interested, but I don't think I disagree with you necessarily, but it reminded me, the trailer reminded me of like a nineties thriller, like a single white female or like basic instinct or something like that. So hand rocks the cradle. Yes. Yeah. Something like that. And that got me interested because it's kind of a throwback to those. I kind of like those. They are kind of by the numbers and trashy, but all right. Yeah. I never saw a single piece of marketing for this movie. Not even a poster. That's awesome. I'm not sure how. I think it was fairly under the radar, and that's I'm why glad I didn't. From like, what I hear, I didn't remember it being directed by Joel Edgerton until I think Tim said something on one of the podcasts not too long ago. So, or I don't know, but anyway, I don't know. What did you guys think of Joel Edgerton's feature directorial debut? I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't love it. I didn't like it as much as I was hoping I was going to, based upon. The people involved in the trailer and the and the kind of the hype it was getting and not hype but the reviews it was getting because I did look at the reviews I was just I mean this is the kind of movie I don't think I would have seen it right away I was curious but then I started to see there was some good buzz and I was like okay yeah now I want to see this um, but I enjoyed it I don't regret having gone and seen it um, 
it does some really cool stuff where it subverts your expectations. You think something is going to happen and it spins another way. Um, it might do that too much sometimes. Um, it might shy away from going with the, the usual routine too often, which I know might be lame for me to say you should have stuck with some of the usual, what we expect, but sometimes you kind of want a little bit of that fulfillment from a movie like this, where you're like, I, I don't know. I feel like it, it's a lot of build and there's some very like Hitchcockian stuff going on, which is cool. And they, but they don't, for me, they don't ever quite, they don't stick the landing. Okay. And I think that with this landing that they've chosen for the movie, this ending they've chosen for the movie, I think they could have, I think that that could work if there are some things about the movie that, that leading up to that, that were different. Mm-hmm. As I, I feel currently that this movie really doesn't have much of a climax and that really bums me out. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. Tim, what did you think of The Gift? I liked it a lot. Um, I, I'm, I don't think I'll ever watch it again. Yeah. Um, but while I was in the theater, it was different than what I expected. I expected more of a 90s thr- thriller. I got more of a Korean like thriller, <laughs> yeah. like a, like a, um, like, a bon like an old, yeah, like an old boy, like in a, and that's what he's going for. And like, he mimics shots from those movies pretty much the entire time. And he, it's, it's a little slow moving like that. And it, Focuses a lot on atmosphere. Um, it's a very interesting debut for Joel Edgerton. And I liked how mean-spirited it was. I kind of like that there really isn't... I wish um, Rebecca Hall's character would have been a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. I think she does a fine job. But she's about the closest thing we get to a likable human being in the movie. Yeah. And it would have been nice to have an anchor Yeah, in that sense. Um, but overall, I liked its mean spiritedness, but it's it. at the end of the day, it's an American made movie that's aping Korean movies and Korean thrillers like this tend to get very mean towards the end as well. And this kind of backs off at the end. And I didn't like that as much. I wanted to be meaner. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Because Bateman's character deserved it. (laughs) All right. Nick. Uh, I thought it was all right. I don't really feel too strongly one way or the other. Like that Futurama clip I used to always play. <laughs> I thought parts of it were really well done. Yeah. Parts of it weren't. Uh, I think it's it's a relatively cool first entry for Joel Edgerton. Uh, I think the... the I don't know. I want to say this, but I feel like I'm wrong. I just haven't thought about it enough, admittedly. But I want to say the script is better than the direction. Like I think it's... It's, it's definitely a combination of a lot of ideas that have been used before, but it feels original enough hmm. i hesitate saying that because i feel like it's not true i just haven't done the research so i'm you know feel free to hit me up corrections department <laughs> but i think it it felt it felt kind of fresh to me i don't know why maybe part of it was probably the casting uh like joel Edgerton playing such a creeper was was kind of kind of cool and, yeah. and not expected and jason bateman playing the relatively complex character that he does seemed unexpected too so I don't know uh, why I can buy Joel Edgerton as Pharaoh's son or Pharaoh more than I can in this movie. Really? For some reason, Joel, Ed- Joel Edgerton with the goatee and the darker, like, red hair. I'm like, that doesn't look like Joel Edgerton to me. That's what I liked, though. Well, I, it's I, great. I liked yeah. him. I actually, I'm so skeptical of, like, 
actors writing, directing, starring themselves, that kind of thing. Because that's it usually does not bode to does not fare too well. But I'm, I'm glad his performance was still really strong. Yeah, he he did right by casting himself because he was good. I I read up on that real quick. I read up on that, and he he had said that he shot all of his scenes like in a week he's like i gotta get mine done like i don't want to i want to focus on everything else yeah that's good you know what i'll bet if you did like a like a pie chart or something he's probably really not in the movie that much yeah Yeah. he's not he disappears for pretty much the entire second yeah yeah Yeah. uh and rebecca hall i agree with what tim said considering she's kind of the main character she actually probably is the main character um i liked her though i always kind of like her and i always forget i like her i forget she's a thing and then i see her and i go oh yeah her she was in that ghost movie right she was in one called, um, oh, jeez. Like Ghost the, About a house. In a the Awakened. Orphan. Or ghost house. Orphan. Ghost orphan house. <laughs> Spirit orphanage. <laughs> Docks and <The> Claw. <laughs> it's called The Awakening. Anyway, yeah, I watched it and it was okay, but I liked her in it. Like, she's really good. She's always yeah. pretty good. Was she in Iron Man 3? Yep. yep. Yeah, okay. Oh, she's in Transcendence. Wally Fisker's Transcendence. Oh. Uh, <laughs> BG's BG's groan, <laughs> four levels of groaning. Uh, yeah, she's good. It, most of the cast is is pretty good. It just felt when it was old, it kind of lost steam. Mm. The way my my synopsis is doing, it just kind of started to fall apart and lose steam, and kind of felt I don't know. And I didn't really like the climax that much. Yeah, it to me like the the story chart of this movie kind of feels like a decapitated mo- mountain, you know? Like it's very much like a the 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 rising action continues to build, continues to build and then it just kind of flatlines and like uh we can talk about it a little bit more in spoilers, but it feels like the climax of the movie is set to where it thinks 11 is for like the whole like third act to me or at least the the back quarter of the movie anyway and that was kind of strange i thought it was interesting i thought there were a lot of cool moments of direction just in terms of like how how it looked i thought like i felt like it did have a look to it and that might have been some of the like korean aping that that jill edgerton did but i thought it looked pretty good and i enjoyed a lot of the music too i thought the the strings that they like it was mostly a string soundtrack and to me it kind of felt like um they did a lot of cool things. Just it was a really cool orchid like uh, instrumentation. Like it seemed like they had a lot of bass and they had a lot of like highs. But I don't know. It was it was interesting to me. But all in all, I we know that I don't really like mean spirited movies that much. And uh, despite the fact, uh, I want to get into spoilers. I'll start spoilers with that thought. But it just never really. It doesn't really come together in the end for me. It doesn't. There's not a nice bow on the end of it that's like this is the thing. And I feel like some of the head fakes that the movie goes through, I almost wish it kind of committed more to a few of them in a way that would not only make it less mean spirited in some ways, but also make it more of a complete and and good resolution to me. So I'll I'll get to that, but. Uh, I think it's worth checking out. I think there's more in it than I figured there was going to be when I saw the trailer. Like, I don't know why, but I was just flat out surprised when the movie was getting like a 90 something on Rotten Tomatoes and I hadn't heard about it. And I felt like it was just kind of like, a, oh, here's another thriller movie that he's a weird dude and something crazy is going to happen. Like, 
It felt like it could have been that really... That sounds like a poster tagline. <laughs> He's a weird dude and something crazy's going to happen. I, I, it just felt to me like it could have been... Rocket Man 2. A very, <laughs> it could have been a very paint-by-the-numbers kind of thriller. And I'm glad that it wasn't. I'm glad that it tried different things. So, I don't know. but It did have some genuinely suspenseful moments. Yeah. I was impressed by that. I, I think it. I think it would actually be a pretty creepy movie to watch at home by yourself. I wasn't impressed. Yeah, for your first time, I wasn't impressed by. I wasn't necessarily impressed by the jump scares that occurred. I was like, I don't know how necessary. There was, was one that, that got me. Dog one. They, no, they, actually, the shower one. Yeah, but oh, the shower one. I was yeah. like, oh, oh shit! Man. Like as I did it's, not. It's yeah. terrifying. We shouldn't but talk I about like, this. It's gonna spoil yeah, stuff. Yeah. So yeah. let's head into spoiler territory. Yeah. We'll be right back. Spoiler territory for the gift. Welcome back to Spoiler Terry for the gift. Um, yeah, I I felt I mean the the jump scares were interesting. I knew the dog was gonna be there. Like I didn't think he was gonna be dead and hanging in the backyard or something. I knew it was gonna be the dog. Whatever the the shower was legitimately creepy, but yeah, I don't know. It was I don't know. I just didn't. I was like I don't know know if this movie really needs these and if it really serves a great purpose in the film anyway. But I don't mind the occasional. I, I thought it did them okay. I, I I don't like movies where it's jump scare after jump scare after jump scare after jump. Because I just stop yeah, it. That's like, fair. That's I mean, fair. You know what I mean? Like some of the paranormal activity stuff movies. I remember going, God, just cut it out. Like just. You're, now you're just making loud noises. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's cheap. But this one only had a few of them, and so I was okay with it. I thought they were mostly effective. Well, yeah, the shower one works um, in the movie as well as, as something that would happen to her. I mean, something going on in her head. So it's a sure. that actually yeah, works. That's yeah. It's not just a random like loud noise. So. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Um, you had something you wanted to say. Yeah, so uh, mean-spirited would have been totally okay. Like, I would have gone for mean-spirited with this movie because, as you said, Tim, I think Jason Bateman deserved it. He's a despicable person. He deserved anything that happened to him. However, I think I take a bigger issue with it when it involves Joel Edgerton's character raping a third party in order to get back at. Or did he? He did. No, we don't know that. No, he did. See, that's what I didn't like about the movie. Is when he, that they made it ambiguous. That they made it. I didn't like that. I think he did. To There's, me, to me, the idea that he goes I, to her and talks to her and is like, "Oh, was a boy or girl?" or you know, blah blah blah. It's like he wouldn't if he strictly wanted. If it was all out of spite and wanted to totally destroy Jason Bateman, and he wasn't the least bit curious if the child was his, he wouldn't have cared. And he wouldn't have gone to see her. He wouldn't have talked to her about it. I don't know. I think. I think he. I think he genuinely likes her. You know what I mean? And I. I don't necessarily think it's in a sexual way. Like Jason Bateman immediately kind of jumps to that conclusion of like, oh, he wants to sleep with you. I think he generally like gives a shit about her as a person, which is a little unexpected. I don't know necessarily that he realized that he was going to until he started actually going over there and talking to her. And I. I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he didn't. Because uh, it's a strong possibility, but I th- I don't know. I don't think it's that definite. I think if it was that definite, you would have you'd know. 
That's, you know what I mean? That's fair. I just, I that's that's kind of where I felt it. But still, no, I mean, yeah, that could be, yeah. If I, yeah. I think, I still think that. I don't know. I don't know. It's really, it feels really gross to me, and it's really bad. It is oh, gross. It's, it's super gross and bad. And, oh, and, I, and I, I can understand completely how, yeah. but I think I don't saying I liked it maybe isn't the right term, but. You appreciated it. The other I thing, suppose. the other thing, this movie reminds me of is kind of like a Tales from the Crypt, like an old EC Comics, like morality play, and yeah. not necessarily a good one. I mean, not Jason Bateman's character. It's all over the top stuff. It, Drag Me to Hell is another example. Mm-hmm. It's it's someone doing being a bully and being mean his whole life, and then getting comeuppance at yeah. the end. And whether or not it's something that it's unsettling and it's gross, but. The unfortunate part is that, that another human being is used as a tool for that comeuppance. Right. That's, yeah. the, that's the real issue right. there. Yeah. And, and I, I, think, I think it's set up throughout the movie because he does that to his character. He does that to Gordo as well. So like it is a weird word, but I understood I what, what it was going for. Yeah. And I wish it would have went all in with it. Okay. Yeah, it, it, that's my biggest... I want to say, first of all, Jason Bateman was really good in this movie. Oh, and yeah. I'd like to see him do more stuff that's not necessarily exactly like this, but something more serious. Um, and Joel Edgerton's great. The whole cast, I, I just wanted to say kudos to them. But um, this movie is like... It's it's a series of like half measures. Like, it's it doesn't... And I'm fine with that. I Like, like I said, I like that subverts some expectations. I mean, yeah, there's... Any other 90s, like if it was a 90s thriller movie, it would have had the dog hanging from the tree when she looks outside. Or it would have had, uh, they would have shown you him assaulting her at some point. Like it would have been a lot more in your face and like like fear with Mark Wahlberg. You know, like that's what we'd be watching, which is awesome. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, but my thing is, there's, there's a couple moments in this movie where I felt like they really, it was, it was a shit or get off the pot kind of moment. Plot wise, and they they didn't do either <laughs> somehow. Like they they didn't do it. when they had the confrontation in the parking lot. I expected something to happen. I, I didn't want Joel Edgerton's character to like kill Jason Bateman in the parking lot because that would be it wouldn't feel right. I almost wanted Jason Bateman's character to kill Joel Edgerton's character, mm-hmm. whether it be accidental, like he took something too far and wound up killing the guy, or whether he straight up like killed murdered this person With to intent. get him to get him out of their lives. Yeah. Um. Because I think then the ending works. Because then you're really like, Jason Bateman's a nasty son of a bitch. Like, yes, we know he did something horrible in his youth, but we don't see it. We just hear about it from a third party. And he never seems... I, I never... You could discount it as, oh, you were a kid. You were stupid. And that's what he discounts it as. Yeah. And I, I hate to even think like that, but kids do stupid shit. And yeah. so I'll be honest, I to a certain degree, I didn't feel like he deserved everything that was happening to him. I, I, I didn't. Not ever. I didn't think he deserved having his wife potentially raped and impregnated by this guy. Like, that didn't... Now, if he had done something like murdered Joel Edgerton in cold blood, then I would go, you know, maybe you, you, you have him kill Joel Edgerton off and the baby's born and a package arrives on his doorstep and it's the video. <laughs> like, so Joel Edgerton still gets the last laugh. That would be cool. Then I'd go, Dang. like, then I'd be like, fuck yeah, I get it, Bateman, you sucker. Like, <laughs> I didn't root against him by the end of this movie for some reason. I knew he was a dick and I didn't like him, but I wasn't like, yeah, fucking Joel Edgerton, you're awesome. Like, when he walks away all Kaiser Soze at the end, I'm like, am I supposed to be cheering for this guy? Like, he's, like, I don't know, everybody's a piece of shit in this movie and that's fine, but I guess I didn't have anybody to, 
it didn't, wasn't pulling for anybody in this movie, including Rebecca Hall. Yeah. Because she's just kind of a blank slate a lot of the time. That's fair. I don't know. That or I would have liked to have seen, like, I when they start hinting at the potential of Bateman being the molester. Like, I'm like, that's interesting to me. Like, that Bateman, as an older kid, like, abused. The, oh, yeah. Like, that's interesting to me. Like, if they had pushed with that, I mean, not exploit it, but pushed with the fact that maybe he did this, uh, you know, like, he did something to this kid that was... Or maybe the two kids did something together. That would be even more interesting to me. See, there's so I don't know. I just feel like there's so many ways you could have taken this story, the basic bones of the story, and done something different with it. You know, I, yeah. I don't know. Nick, you got any spoilery thoughts? Um, no, I don't think so. I think um, I kind of liked what the movie chose to do for the most part. With um, you know, I'm kind of. I'm kind of the the opposite of I think Willie and Tim in regards to some of the choices made to like how far the characters did or didn't go. It's like kind of like that the movie continually makes the characters and I think also the viewers feel kind of ridiculous for thinking someone's going to do something this terrible. I think people feel that fear every day where they automatically their brains go to like wild conclusions where like if you're you know walking you know, going for a walk at nighttime and you see someone on the other side of the street, I think somebody, no, they're gonna murder me. somebody always thinks like that, that person's going to stare me down or they're going to, they're going to jump me. They're going to kill me. They're going to, and that's ridiculous. Generally, <laughs> I think depending on where you live, obviously there's a better chance of that, but, um, that kind of fear that we, that we're almost now conditioned to feel. And I think the movie goes through that a lot where characters automatically assume like the most over the top thing is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it usually doesn't. And I kind of liked that, like the her whole scare of like it, because I, as the viewer, felt during that shower scare, I was like, "Oh God, that's terrifying. That's going to happen." And then it kind of makes you go, "That's ridiculous. Like that's that's not going to happen. He's not that crazy." And you kind of go back and forth with it like that, and you know, we we think, okay, maybe he's going to murder Jason Bateman in the party, that kind of thing, like you were saying, and like, but then he's just like, no, he just tells him it's not over, and then that's that, and he never. It's possible that the the worst thing he ever really did was drug her, drug her, and make a I mean, make a make a Really, video. what do we know that he did? He killed the fish more than likely. I think we can probably assume he did that. We don't even know he kidnapped the dog. That's the brilliant thing about all the things he did or didn't do is that it's all set up to make the two of them have conflict and ultimately make Jason Bateman lose. And none of it can really be proven, and none of it can be. Disproven. She it's, could have passed out from the pills. That's kind of I mean, right. And they he could have strolled in and gone, "Oh, that's my opportunity." That was a week. Yeah, that was a week. Uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious he drugged her. I mean, I, it thought, is. I yeah, thought so. It is because he, he shakes it in the video. He says, "Here's the here's the Gatorade I drugged yeah. her." But that was kind of a week. One of the weak points in the script was like, "Oh, I had another fainting episode." Like, "Oh, you've had those in the past. It's cool, I guess." Way to just tuck that line in there and then keep moving. But I, I, I kind of that was the one thing. One of the things about the movie I did really enjoy was it. It felt very like it messed with your expectations a lot and it made you start to think like, oh god, this is going to be like the dogs hanging from the tree. He's going to be in the house, but none of that ever happens. And I think that we think that's going to happen, and then the movie's kind of like that's ridiculous. Why would he do that? <laughs> they they do a really cool moment that when he's when he's hosting the trivia night at the bar. And he's talking about a piece of trivia about the Tate-LaBianca murders. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with those. No. I'm not even going to get into it. It's horrible, and it involves a pregnant woman. And I immediately, when he started mentioning that, I'm like, oh, my God, this what? is going to go somewhere really, really bad. Like, and it didn't. So that was even another. It was a very subtle, like, if you know a little bit about that, that piece of history, you'd right. go, 
Oh, red, like, red flag. You pucker <laughs> up a little bit because you're like, oh, God. <laughs> like, this is going to be, yeah. So. I, I wanted it to almost commit to the subversion even more in the sense that, to me, I feel like it almost would have worked better if that confronta- confrontation in the parking lot was the end of the Joel Edgerton, Jason Bateman interaction. None of the stuff in the video actually happened. And Bateman gets done in by the dude that he screwed over for the job. Like, that dude throwing the stone or whatever, I don't know what happens, he pulls a gun and shoots Bateman. I don't know. If that happened differently, that comeuppance to me, not only would the movie not feel two hours long, but or two and a half hours long, really, but it would also wash clean some of the things that I think are really terrible, and it would also really pay that. It would it would give him his comeuppance. However, it would have been a bit more boring. I thought the beginning of the movie was pretty boring. Like it's very slow moving to me, but um, but I do enjoy that subversion, and I think ultimately the idea that Joel that that Gordo does a potentially terrible thing or does screw with Jason Bateman still kind of plays into the expectations of the movie where it's like, well, they were kind of right for him to be weird about this guy because he did screw with Jason Bateman. Like, I don't know. It, At the end of the day, though, I mean, Gordo is not a good human being, though, no. either. Like, he's a bad person. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's... And it's... I mean... See, but, that, but, but kind of what I think would be more interesting was almost if he was a right. good oh, person. Like, almost if, almost if absolving him of all that stuff... Like, Jason Bateman shows up, beats him up at trivia night, and he really did, like, nothing wrong. It would almost be kind of like, Jason Bateman's terrible. Like, there's no He's blaming redemption. his own problems on somebody. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it, like and, and, and to have, for the idea of Gordo to just kind of be like, oh, hey, you showed up here. I kind of wanted to med the fence, be friends. And then he's almost like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. It didn't work out. And then that kind of fades away. That's more of a subversion to me than the idea of, oh, he's actually going to do this weird, crazy stuff and act like he raped your wife. I don't know. I thought it would be it could be a more interesting way for it to go. But, it, you know, I don't know. It's still an okay movie. Yeah. You know? No, I mean, I, I, I did not regret going and seeing it. I think it's a really, really good, like, rental. Yeah. Oh, you and know? I wanted to say Allison Tolman, who plays... The Lucy next door, I think is her name. She's great. I think she did a great job in the movie. And uh, if you want something better than True Detective Season 2, go watch Fargo Season 1, where she is the main character. That's oh, cool. The only question about this show. movie I have is, do you think they Gordo ran into them by chance at the very beginning of the movie? That was something that I was, I was talking about afterwards with Nikki, is did he bump in... Did, how long has he been keeping an eye on these people? I honestly think it was a happenstance thing. I really, truly do. I, I think do. he was walking in through that mall and he went, holy shit, is that... You know what I mean? I think it's in the back of his head, he's always thought with to himself, one of these days, I'm gonna, he's going to get what's coming to him. And then he's, when he saw him in the store, that's when plans started to be set in motion. And I, I, I also wonder, did, did Jason Bateman... Because, I mean, when you do, you know, obviously something as big as what Jason Bateman did and the lie that he, he you know, made up in his youth and stuff, you wouldn't forget doing that. But 
you don't you don't think about this after a while you would stop thinking about it you know what i mean years 20 some years after you wouldn't think about it anymore and i almost wondered did jason bateman when he introduced himself as gordo did he immediately go oh fuck this is the guy i screwed over or did it take him a little while to you know what i mean so that's another thing i was kind of and it, well if he's truthful about the idea that he didn't even know that like gordo's dad was basically gonna kill him or tried to kill him then it might be just one like you said like he just kind of like oh this shit happened when i was a kid and he didn't really remember it. I don't know. Plus, he may have been... I mean, if he's a bully of the magnitude that the movie is painting him to be, he may have tortured so many kids as a youth that they all kind of blur. Very true. And uh, there is a moment during dinner, I think, answers the question a little bit, where he, when he first comes over for dinner um, at their house, and just Jason Bateman, and he does a great job, the way he's acting he's waiting for this guy to bring it up. You know what I mean? The whole time at dinner, he's kind of keeps looking back at his wife and looking back at Gordon, you know, and he says to her at one point, like, don't give him any more wine, yeah. you know? So he's at that point, I, at that, it's not, doesn't take him long to go, this guy could spill the beans about what I did back, you know, for him to remember, or at least recollect what happened and, and kind of realize this guy might be up to no good. So, yeah, I was, I was kind of waiting at one point, because they said that the two like kid owners of the of the uh of the company that he worked at of Orpheus or whatever where he said that they both went to the same high school or something like I I don't know why but the thing started to connect and I was like what if the other dude trying for his job is actually Gordo I thought Gordo's that too I was waiting for him to show up as a as a member of the company yeah, yeah. it's know. there's a lot of things there's a lot of weird seeds they plant in this movie that get you thinking and then they don't do anything with them so you, it's it's equal parts kind of surprising and then there's sometimes it's disappointing too you know what i mean because yeah. you 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 were hoping that maybe you were going to see that go somewhere and then it doesn't but at the same time it's kind of like well it, sometimes yeah. it's just certain like happenstance there was there be... was a subplot they brought up that went absolutely nowhere and i was mad that they bothered wasting our time with it now i don't remember what it is hmm. was it the uh Roy from the office well i guess that played into it but yeah. that felt a little extra no yeah well yeah, the movie turned into a weird like investigation at that mm-hmm. point, and no, it wasn't that. It was there was a there was like a a real. Ah, oh, damn it! Kicking myself for not writing it down. <laughs> there's like a there's like a subplot. There's something involved. Oh, damn it! <laughs> maybe it was the thing with his. I don't think that was it. I'm gonna say maybe it was the thing with the other guy, the job, because that felt really unnecessary to me to have this whole like file on this guy and have this oh, whole subplot mm-hmm. about him oh, okay. screwing another i understand that it helped establish a hi- character history of like he's still, still cheating cheating people out of there well not even a bully like a criminal <laughs> almost oh, yeah. and he's a liar at the <laughs> end yeah in the end it kind of felt unnecessary it didn't need that i think just the threat of gordo was enough to keep me interested but I don't think that's what was bothering me so much. I thought for a hot second there, dude was going to attack the party. Like for Gordo? a moment, there, yeah, yeah. For a moment there, I'm like, is the yeah. rest of this movie going to be them trying to like not die while this guy? <laughs> right, and that's another <laughs> seriously. Time. I mean, that was good, yeah. yeah, same when they went to the house that what turned out not to be his. I'm like, is this where we're going to like spend the right? Like, is he going to like lock them up that's, in this house? That's like, what I was wondering too. I thought about. I that. start to go, and you know what? I'm sorry. Maybe I'm just a sucker for the old cl- horror movie cliches, but any one of those things would have been more interesting to me. <laughs> like I would have enjoyed, maybe not more interesting, but I would have enjoyed watching it more than watching like Jason Bateman get a video of his wife maybe getting raped. I don't know. I do want to touch just real quick. Jason Bateman is really good in this. 
like he's the best part in this, I think. Um, because Jason Bateman is very smarmy, even when he's likable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of his charm. But really all he has to do is turn that up a little bit and he becomes he, villain. He can Despicable. Villain. I loved and I and I can see it's very slow moving in the beginning, and I can see how Consultant could be bored, but I loved watching his character squirm, having to interact. Yeah. <laughs> I love the idea of Jason Bateman's character, who's a guy who has pretty much spent his whole life trying to get away and get on his own and move out to the suburbs away from people like Gordo, who he doesn't have to deal with. He thinks with. he's better than... He thinks yeah. he's better than him, and watching him have to interact with him... Eat and, a meal. <laughs> and the whole idea that like you can never get away from... like You have to live in a world with people you hate. Well, it's or, funny, like, too, because the one time he loosens up a little bit towards... Uh, it seems like he does towards Gordo is when he thinks that Gordo is living in this nice house. And he's like, Oh, he seems like like my kind of guy. Like, it's almost like, yeah, he's, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I like that stuff. And that's why I I was, I was pretty engaged during most of this movie with that stuff. Yeah. Me too. I I think that's why I liked it a little better, but Jason Bateman was the main reason for that. And Edgerton, Edgerton's really good too, but yeah, that's, that's fair. I think, I, to me, there were a few times throughout the movie where I was like, wow. It's not even necessarily that Jason Bateman is doing much of a different thing. It's kind of like you said, that he he amps it up a bit. He he pushes the the character and the smarm and, and all of that just a little bit more. And it really does kind of give you a totally different lens of who he is. It's He's really, meaner was, than he normally really would be. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, it wasn't even like like um, his directorial day. Bad Words. It wasn't even necessarily bad words where he is just a total dick. It felt like he was still living in the Jason Bateman world, but he was kind of transported to like, no, he's not playing the straight man to a bunch of other crazy characters. He's in this weird kind of thriller-ish. Right. It's interesting. But yeah. All right. All right. I think that's our review of The Gift. Mm Mm-hmm. Feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com is where you'd let us know what you think of the show and the things that we talk about. Uh, at MFN Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, MidwestFilmNerds.com has all 140-plus bonus episodes with full show notes. Go check those out. Amazon.MidwestPodcastNetwork.com is where you can shop on Amazon and let us uh, have some of the money that you spend there so that we can make things even better. But I think that's about it. Uh, new Game Nerds should be out soon. I think it was kind of a... Uh, future release thing that you've inspired on on facebook or on twitter so uh look for that soon with john and brian i was not on that episode but uh yeah i don't know i don't know what we're gonna do next week i'm gonna go see zach efron movie probably but i don't know if it's gonna be worth talking about or not i'm not gonna make you guys go see it zach efron zach efron so that's about it uh kyle xy go watch a movie